I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Hussein Rifai, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And I can see you brought along some goodies here, some of my favorites. Uh... Beans, by the way, who doesn't like baked beans? So these are all the SBC or not all the SBC, some of the SBC products or some of the products that SBC owns and manages. We've also got the Golden Valley, which is another SBC-owned brand. Absolutely. Admona. Yeah, another one of our brands, yeah. This is a crushed, ripened, vine-ripened tomatoes and we've got some peaches over here, which uh, my grandson absolutely loves these. And these are 25% less sugar. Well, I'm glad he loves them then um, because I don't want him having too much sugar. Um, no, no. And, uh, but but it's, what's interesting about this is when I look at these baked beans and it's in the shape of Australia, um, I, I don't know, but I, I guess in other countries, uh, my my sense is in other countries that don't love baked beans like we love baked beans, uh, maybe in the UK but not necessarily in the US. No, not necessarily. It's actually what you find is around the world, different geographies like different types of pulse. So India, for example, is a lot more into lentils. Middle East is into chickpeas and so on and so forth. Here in Australia and in the UK, we love our uh, our baked beans. And these thing. are navy beans, aren't Correct, they? Correct, yeah. yeah. It's funny because uh, uh, my family's from Greece and uh, like baked beans, they'd be looking at you like you've got something wrong with you. If you yeah, said, what's uh, wrong with you? Yeah. But, but they do eat fava beans there a lot and um, broad yeah. beans as well. But um, we don't have much of that in Australia. But you're right, every... Geography around the world has its uh, favourite um, uh, as, as you, pulse, yeah. pulse, as you yeah. said, a pulse, yeah. uh, which is a bean, basically. Um, and uh, Australia, being diverse in terms of its um, cultures, still hangs on to the old baked bean. Well, we're actually looking at a strategy to expand that. But the Middle East is similar to Greece; they love uh, fava beans, mm. and they call it full, and they cook it, and it's probably. It's primary source of protein for them. Yeah, yeah, try the same in Greece. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's the cheaper meat sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and they eat it for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack. In between, you know, in between two fava beans, they'll have a fava bean or a chickpeas, and they cook it in falafels, and they cook it in full and hummus, and all of those sort of things. But we are looking at diversifying our pulse. To I mean, as you know, Australia is becoming more and more and more diversified, right? I think the statistic is 40% of Australians, at least one parent was born overseas. 20% themselves are born overseas. And they tend to come now from a different geography than, say, 100 years ago. They tend to come from China, 
India and the Middle East. So for us to stay with the Australian market, let alone go overseas, we have to consider cuisines and we have to look, consider food that's also to the palate of the new Australians. Let's talk about who you are. Like, uh, I mean, I guess, I mean, chairman of SBC Global, um, which is a, a big role. We'll talk about how that happened in the first place, but can if I could just go back a little bit. Sure. Um, how does Hussein Rifai, who's obviously from the Middle East, um, become the chairman of SBC Global? Where'd you start? I'm originally from Jordan, right? A Jordanian. I, I'm a Jordanian, half Jordanian, half Palestinian. Yep. Right? Uh, born in the West Bank, actually, and then I grew up all of my life in Amman. I left uh, Jordan very early on when I was 17 and went and did my first degree in the States. I did my first degree from Silicon Valley. So I'm an electrical engineer, computer architect sort of, a, sort of a person. And my first real job, real career was with Procter & Gamble. Which is the fast-moving consumer goods organization. It's the largest fast-moving consumer goods in the world. What's that mean, fast-moving consumer goods? What's that fast, mean? It's anything you buy from a supermarket, pretty much. Uh, it tends to refer more to consumables, whether it's food, whether it's soap, whether it's cleaning products and things. Anything you buy from a supermarket that's non-fresh tend to be called fast-moving consumer goods. So all of that industry is bundled up in one. And then you have subsection of the industry, food or paper products like toilet paper and napkins and tissues and things like that, or uh, cleaning products or personal products like... Uh, Q-tips and, and shampoo, all of those sort of things. So all of that combined is referred to as fast-moving consumer goods and for the people in the industry, it's abbreviated as FMCG. FMCG. That's right. And I, I remember when the first time someone said the word to me, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about, but, and it was a long time ago. So is it fair to say that OEMs or manufacturers, you, mm -hmm. SPC, you go to a FMCG organization like Procter & Gamble and they aggregate all the products that they need to sell to Woolworths. Is that how it works? Procter & Gamble's got a lot of divisions and a lot of products, right? So they tend to operate almost, I mean, I, I haven't worked with them for about a part of 30 years or something like that, but they work, tend to work fairly independently. So the paper division that does diapers, for example, Pampers and all of that works very differently than head and shoulders at the shampoo or it works very differently. I think they sold Pringles that used to be Procter & Gamble, now it's Kellogg's, or the food division or or Vicks or something like that. And they all deal with, with, with Woolies and with the retailers independently. Although the retailers knows that, you know, this is Procter & Gamble, so you can't treat them like a little boy sort of thing. And they have power across, across the various divisions. Uh, uh, in the larger companies, it tend to be, the relationship to, tend to be directly between Procter & Gamble, all the, all the manufacturer, and the, and the supermarket, supermarket chains in some of the smaller FMCG manufacturers, not Procter & Gamble, some of the smaller ones, it might go through a distributor or, a, you know, somebody like one of the distribution companies that would take it to Metcash or would take it to some of the other smaller independent uh, wholesalers. So the model is you either go directly or you go through a third-party distributor of a sort. Generally speaking, though, if you're, as you say, if you're a newbie or a smaller volume player, you would tend to go through one of the, what you're calling the distributors. Um, maybe the Woolworths would call the suppliers. <laughs> I don't know how, yeah, what, what they use, but yeah, but uh, 
you, but the bigger guys like I don't know, Uncle Toby's or Kellogg's or whatever, they probably deal direct. Absolutely. Yeah, with yeah. with Woolies. Oh, we deal directly with 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 Woolies and Colts. You, you so we have see. a direct relationship. Yeah. Especially, has got a direct relationship. It really is a lot of the smaller guys, and it tends to be not Colts and Woolies, more the independents that you would go through a distributor or something. Yeah, like, like Metcash, which is IGA. Like a Metcash, which is IGA, and things like that. So, so you cut your teeth at. Uh, Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble. Yeah, in the US, I guess. In Canada. Canada. In Germany, in Saudi Arabia. So and you, then you, went, you started... I worked in different places. Yep. I worked in the technology division because of what I studied. At that time, I went around, uh, worked in the, in the operation, literally on the production line, grease under a fingernail sort of thing. And then I automated, I went around automating a lot of production lines. And then I did a stint in their in their uh, marketing department. This is in the early 80s I'm talking, so a bit of an indication about my age, right? And then I migrated to Australia in the late 80s. And at that time, I joined Johnson Johnson in Australia, right? Which was a, a competitor of Procter and Gamble. Oh, was it J and J? Were they were they uh, a distributor too? Were they? No, they were manufacturing. No, they're manufacturing. They make baby oil and they, they nappies still, and stuff. They like still that. are. So yeah. they did make nappies, not anymore. And at that time, they had a in the late eighties, they had a factory in Campbelltown, right? That was closed down, and half of the production went overseas, and the other half was moved to Botany. And they still have their factory, to the best of my knowledge, in Botany. Now, you got to differentiate between Johnson Johnson, the medical part, and Johnson Johnson, the personal products, like the powders and the baby shampoos and things along So jo Johnson Johnson, just for clarity's sake, I mean, they're a big sort of, they're a pharma, a pharma, pharmaceutical company, yeah. as well as a personal a, products. A product brand as well. Correct, yes. And um, and the Johnson Johnson you were for was the product Pers brand. Personal products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, their head office out in New Jersey. Uh, in the States. In the States. Yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, actually, we've had on our show, not the mentor show, but the prior show to that, uh, we used to, we had the head of innovation for Johnson Johnson came out to Australia many years ago, South American show, and he was like incredibly um, – the innovations, we're talking about pharmaceuticals now but the, the, and or um, devices, but the, the incredible, um, I, mean, I know they got themselves a little bit of trouble over a few things, but nonetheless, the incredible drive to innovate is at a place like Johnson Johnson is, is just crazy. I mean, the amount of Absolutely. money they invest over long periods of time, which may never result in anything, <laughs> it's just crazy. Actually, Mark, you can generalize that about FMCG. If you're not, if you don't continue to innovate, you out of in the FMCG space, you're probably going to exit the market. Even in food, if you think about it, if you think about what food you were eating when you were young at home, where did your mom buy the food? Who cooked? Uh, what cuisines you ate? You tend to stick with the one cuisine of your ethnic group. And now think of your, you know, you, you said you have grandkids, so think of your kids, or think of my kids who are in their twenties. They don't eat the same thing. They eat healthier. They won't eat the same cuisine two days in a row. The same. My my grandkid, one of them, doesn't even drink water out of the tap. He's only drink water out of the tap for whatever reason. Like he's drinking water from specialized water that's like being filtered or something. Yeah. I, don't I mean, you, my kids are also. What, what what do you mean we're gonna eat Thai? We just had Thai yesterday. No, no, no. We're gonna all go and eat uh, you know Chinese today, and tomorrow we're eating Italian. All of that. I grew up with what whatever mom cooked. Food organisations like yours have got to sort of cater to that a little bit. Well, we got to we got to continue. I mean, you cater to that if you can stay behind the client, but you got to even jump ahead of the client and and predict trends. 
So, you know, things like healthy trend. How do I create more healthy like food? Like you the peaches, like less this, sugar. Yeah, less sugar. How do I create it in a way? How do I create for new demographics? How do I create something that's a little bit more, you know, unique and nobody's tasted before and people taste, oh, yum, that's really, really good. Uh, and And sort of a... The most difficult part is to let go of a product that used to be successful, right? And you gotta and you gotta make the hard decision, sort of say, well, this used to be great twenty five years ago, but you know, there's still probably a little bit of people holding on to it. But I'm gonna have to cut this thing off because I'm gonna focus on the new thing. And just like you said when you were talking about the block out of Johnson Johnson, sometimes you invest a lot of money chasing a particular innovation. And it never comes out to anything, or the product that you come out with was not is not well received by the market. You can't. It's not a home run in every in every hit sort of thing. But if you stop, then you're definitely going back because everybody else is trying to to do that. And one of things that one of the very first things that we did when we bought the business from Coca Cola, we can talk about that later on, is we sold, for example, the jam business, because we people are not are eating less sugar based stuff. When I was growing up, mom would put some butter on the bread and put a, a thick layer of jam over there, and that's your sandwich. Eat it until dinner is ready, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Right now, if I go to approach my kids with that much jam on them, they'll look at me as this dad's just gone crazy. Hey, what yeah. is jam? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just gone crazy. So so we sold that business, and we bought more profitable, more healthy businesses like pomegranates and a kombucha business and a, and a, and a, 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 a what do you call it, frozen meal for hospitals and things along those lines. So we're moving the whole business towards a more healthy type of lifestyle, healthier food. And, you know, if you look at the new logo, better food for the future, we're all aligning it toward a much healthier one to try to stay up to, up to speed with the trend of what people want to eat and what is it that they're looking, you know, what the future trend is holding. You sort of try to use your crystal ball for that. So let's just go back to the history of SPC. Right. Um, where did SPC start? So it started as a farmer's co-op in Shepparton. Shepparton being on the Murray River down in Victoria. Down in Victoria West, in, Gold, in the Goulburn Valley. Northwest Victoria. Correct, in yep. the Goulburn Valley. Famous for, these days at least got a lot of olives there, but it had a lot of uh, fruit. The, it the, still is the fruit basket of Australia. Yep. Especially right. the stone fruit. Yep. To be more specific, yep. right? So you can get more tropical fruit up in Queensland and things like the pineapples and everything else. But in terms of stone fruit, whether peaches and apricots and plums and even apples, pears, all of that, the fruit basket of Australia is the Goldman Valley. Yeah. Right? So Lots far, of water. Uh, lots of water from the river, right? But, I mean, Australia, seven years, lots of water. Seven years, we're putting out fires. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But within the context of that, yes, lots of water. At least there's a river running through there's it. There's a river that's running through it, and it's got a lot of arms and legs and things along those yeah. lines. That's where it started, 1917. 1917? 1917. Wow. So it's 106 years old. It's almost older than me. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you feel that old. <laughs> uh, and 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 it was and it was one. It's it is the oldest Australian food company. Oh, is right? that right? Yeah, by country mile. Right, it's older than anybody else. So, like I said, we're 100, 106 years old, and this company and and it continued and they incorporated that co-op, and it was really established at that time to preserve the fruit from the farmers. That was the main pur- purpose of it. So that's what SPC stands for, Shepparton Preservation Company. Oh, wow. Right? So it came from that background. I guess what we're talking about here is farmers back in 1917 um, probably thought they had a lot of spare fruit they couldn't sell for some reason or other or 
wasn't going to sell. So some some clever person said, well, why don't we preserve it? And well, it's not that they couldn't sell. It's they wanted to preserve it so they can sell it throughout the year. As a because, preserved food. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, at that time, not many, there wasn't any fridges. So yeah, yeah, if you course. didn't eat it, if, if you didn't eat it fresh, even if you had fridges today, if you put it fresh in it, it'll go one week, two weeks. But yeah. If you wanted peach in the middle of uh, in the middle of August, you're not going to get it. So that was a way of preserving the fruit, so they can sell it all throughout the year. Right, and and of course, preserved food generally, not just fruit, but you know, all sorts of preserved foods, were part of our natural diet. I mean, it's the because you know we couldn't import some if it's middle of winter and we can't grow right. peaches. We couldn't right. in those days import something from Brazil or I don't know wherever who was having a summer. We didn't import stuff. You just lived off what was preserved from the previous summer. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was at the time. It continues to be because the reality of it is, is if you're counter-seasonal, you have to have the food that you want from over there. It's all the time. Other than the convenience part of it is that you're having it in a tin instead of going and getting it and not having it available or things along those lines, you had preserved fruit. And over time, that evolved from the fruit into, into uh, uh, you know, the baked beans. And then they acquired uh, uh, Ardmona, which is a tomato business very near. Ardmona is a village very near uh, Shepparton in, in the same area. Right? So, so they acquired Ardmona and then they got into the, the, the uh, tomato business. And then the business was listed on the ASX. Right. Was it the ASX in those days? I mean, what do you remember what period we're talking about here now? We're talking here certainly in the, I think it was in the 1990s. Wow. So b- b- f- prior to that, that was a That was private, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So someone made a lot of money in the 90s when it was listed. They made a lot of money when Coca-Cola bought it off, 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 the, off the listing. So right. it got listed first on the ASX. Correct. In the 90s and then Coca-Cola Amateur come along and and bought it bought. and delisted it. Did a takeover? Basically, yeah. They, yeah. They, they bought the whole business and they delisted it and they owned it from 2005 until 2019 and that's when we bought it from them. Right. So, And uh, Coca-Cola paid like a lot of money. Paid a lot of money for it and invested a lot of money in it since after they bought it. But unfortunately, it didn't, didn't work out very well for Coca-Cola. So what, what, okay, what, why is that? I mean, I mean – Big organization, not as if they don't know what they're doing um, in terms of food products. Um, Look, I can't say in a definitive way, but I mean, I've been in this game for a very long time and I've been an advisor and consultant. So I can guess from my understanding of, of their business and, and understanding of this business why. You have a fundamental difference in the business model. If you think of Coca-Cola Amatol and you Coca-Cola as a product, you have two things. Coca-Cola as a product has been the same product more or less since the 50s, right? Two changes in it, I think, in the early 60s. They took the cocaine out of it, and then they changed the sweetener. From sugar, you had the diet and all sorts of things. Most of the rest of the changes were actually in the packaging, right? But the Coca-Cola product as a product has been pretty much the same. Right? You grew up with it. Except for cocaine. Except for the cocaine. I don't know. Maybe that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, whereas... Think about, like we were just talking about, think about food from the 50s versus food now, how much changes has gone through. So that culture of continually to improve products and all of that, I don't think that was really very well understood in the Coca-Cola one. The other issue around Is it because it's spoiled with such a, a popular, great product? Well, it is spoiled, but it's also you don't have to innovate with Coca-Cola. I mean, the innovation is in the in the in the in the, uh, the the flavor. The taste is still the same. The profile of the product is still the same. You only change the sugar. So, 
you, you, if you, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, this thing hasn't been broke and it's still not broke and it's not likely to be broke. It's one of the best, amazing brands on the planet, sort of thing. This is not just Australia anywhere on the planet. So, so they never had the 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 need to actually create more ones. I mean, every now and then they come up with you know Coca Cola vanilla flavor or this or that. But everybody buys Coca Cola for the classical Coca Cola, uh, you know, with a little bit of the sugar. One now people getting away from sugar, but the product's fundamentally the same. Right. In terms of taste, yeah. In terms of taste, in terms of that, you know, they they they've delivered it differently in the sense of the packaging, in the sense of that. So their creativity went to a great extent into the marketing of the product. You know, the bloke jumping off the plane and the girl, you know, playing volleyball on the beach and different colors and different flavors and different and one for winter skiing and one for summer doing this. But the product itself is fundamental. The marketing is brilliant, though. Absolutely, that, without a doubt, it's one of the best marketing companies yeah. on the planet, if not the best. Yeah. Right? So, so that culture wasn't there to continue the innovation in there, right? To continue the innovation of the product because the products that SPC owned and produced weren't as iconic, maybe as Coca Cola. Is that what you're saying? Correct. And they went ahead. The, you know, you didn't have SPC was never a brand, a global brand in the same league as a Coca Cola brand, right? So you didn't have to rely on the brand. So say, it doesn't matter what I put in the, in you know, my little peach cup. They're always going to buy it because it's SPC. So what that did, I mean, just like in any other product, if you don't innovate. You drop your product more into commodity. Once you drop it into commodity, becomes the competition becomes on price. Once you start competing on price, then you get all the cheap producers around the world coming competing with you, the Chinese or whoever else is doing that. And that's what happened over time. Those things don't happen in a day or two. They slowly but surely creep up on you. So before you know it, from being the prominent brand that it was, and then became a a, a product that the Chinese imports started competing with, and uh, and so on and so forth. That's one of the reasons that was there. The second one is, I think, the strategic reasoning behind why they bought it. It wasn't really quite right. It was a little bit more of a, uh, a you know, I want to let, let me buy the business, and then I'll find a justification why I bought it. I don't think the actual strategic logic was was very very sound in terms of why they bought that business over there. The other issue around it is as a butler, which what Amatil is as a butler, they get the syrup from Coca-Cola Atlanta. You have the water and you have the gas and you're pretty much most of your production is fairly well established, tested around the world. Every single product that you do in, in the food has got a different process and a different machines and a different set of skills and so on and so forth. So again, that was a very different from the DNA of Coca-Cola Amatol. Right? So, so I think over time, their focus continued to be on a four and a half billion dollar business, right? And slowly, surely the business, the, the SPC business gone down. The other component of it is the export. So Coca, uh, SPC used to export a lot of it, but then the changes in the in the you know global treaties and and ability to export and all of that have changed the dynamics. And the business being SPC didn't react fast enough to be able to deal with those global import export dynamics and the various regulations and everything else. So the export market declined very very rapidly. You know when we bought the business, it was less than five five million dollars in export. 
when they had when they, when they they bought the business, it was in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, we bought it, it was literally a small percentage what it was, uh, 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 you know, 15 years before, sort of thing. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Back from the break, and I'm here with Hussein Rufai. He is the... SPC Global Chairman. Um, and we've just gone through a little story about uh, how Coca-Cola Amateur bought it and they paid a big, big price for it um, for this organisation. They privatised it or you know, delisted it and privatised it in their in their ownership. And um, Hussein was actually explaining there's a, a certain fit that certain owners have in relation to businesses that may not conform to what they're best at and sometimes – that ownership is actually better to off transfer to new owners who have a better understanding, a better empathy towards how the business used to roll, how the rhythm of the business used to be. By the way, I've seen this many, many times over um, in lots of industries, um, from banking to you know organisations like your own, where big global organisations who you who you would think could do a great job actually don't do a great job in relation to the ownership because, as you said earlier, you're saying the DNA is different. Can you just explain? Who it was that backed you into buying from Coca-Cola, Amatil, SBC, the business and all the brands here in Australia? Who was it and how did that all occur? Well, look, we've got, I mean, the parent company is an investment bank called Perpetuity Capital, who's, which is AFSL licensed and, I'm, and that's, that's our bank, that's my bank, and I'm the responsible person on it. Uh, that bank owns a, a private equity fund called Perma Funds Management, and it is a progressive fund, uh, uh, private equity. So we don't raise money and then we wait for the opportunity. When we find the opportunity- You raise money. We tend to seed it first. So we seed it from a family money and we seed it from our partner's family money. And then we go touch, uh, you know, call people or call on people who are interested in that sector. So if we think Mark is not interested in food, we won't talk to you about it. If we think you're interested in food, hey, Mark, look, we're doing this. We're doing that. Can you? Would you like to come in with us? So, in addition to to us, the biggest backers in the in, that were in the debt perspective were Scottish Pacific, right? Yep. And they were fantastic. They've supported us all the way through. They were they were there for us from day one. 
And certainly with the ups and downs of the cash flow of a turnaround business, they were there with us all the way through. They've supported us when we need them. They give us the odd extra five when we needed it and all of that sort of thing. So certainly they 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 were one of the biggest supporters of this business throughout the exercise. So what you do, the Perpetuity Capital, and you're the executive chairman of that, Perpetuity Capital goes and hunts asset classes that make sense to it. And in this case, Correct. it was this SPC. Correct. And then you you um, put some of the capital in required to buy that entity. You seed it, so to speak, right. seed the fund. And once you've negotiated a price, you've got a sense of the price. And then you go out and find other investors. In this case, you've got Scott pa- Scottish Pacific who came in and invested alongside you. That's our debt. But we had but other. It's, but it's debt. Yeah, but, but, but we had other investors as well. So yeah. equity investors that came with us day one. But it's so, debt. But debt's actually probably a better way to fund it at the end of the day as well because it's probably usually sure. cheaper than equity. But, um, but they will put in like – I don't know, convertible note or something like that? or, or is No, it, no, they actually funded actual it against our receivables, against our inventory and right. against our equipment. Okay, so there are okay, – and Scottish Pacific, you're talking about Scottish Pacific, the bank or the lender. The lender, yeah, correct. Scottish yeah. Pacific, who've been around a long time here. They've been around a long time yeah. and they are a very professional group of people. Yeah. I have a lot of time for them and they have nothing but good things to say about them. So you, you bought SPC – relatively cheaply than compared to say what, for example, Coca-Cola Amazon paid. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We bought it for a small percentage what they, not just what they bought it. Remember after they bought it, they also invested a fair, fair chunk of change in it in terms of buying new equipment, in terms of promoting the brand, in terms of doing all of that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, you know, when, when we looked at it to buy it, they were running a process and there was other bidders and everything else. We probably, one of them, one of the highest bidders that went in there but to be fair to them, one of the things that they wanted to to do is they didn't want somebody, because we bought a lot of assets for the amount of money that we that we've put in there, right? Uh, what they didn't want to do is they didn't want somebody to to buy it, chop it into pieces, yeah, and sell know, it do off. a Dick Smith on him, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and sell it out, put money in your pocket, and walk away. And we're not that sort of people. We're builders, so we we never buy a business just so we can chop it up. Did you have to warrant that? Did you have to covenant that you wouldn't? We did do not that? have to warrant that, except basically a handshake. Yep. Not even in the contract. So they, they accepted that proposition. They then. accepted it, but they did they did a a due diligence on us to make sure that we're those sort of people. So I had long interviews with them and with their senior management. We had long chats back and forth and all of that. And, it, and they really accepted it just based on, on our word to them a lot more. That it wasn't in the contract. It wasn't anything. But they just knew that our intent is to build this business. So to be fair to them, they've, they've put their trust that we're not going to do that. And I, there was no way I would buy that business to do that. I, can, I couldn't face my children if I sort of said to people in Shepparton, here, I'm taking a thousand jobs away from a small regional area. I, I, hopefully I can find better ways to make money than to destroy people's lives sort of thing. So well, that's good that um, Coca-Cola Amateur actually took that view, by the way, that uh, that they they respected the people who worked in, as you said, jobs and all that sort of stuff yeah. and the infrastructure from a place, particular place like Shepparton because Shepparton wouldn't be able to handle it if that wall collapsed. Tell me about the the rebuild then of SPC. What is you know, you're the chairman of both the controlling entity and also the company itself. So SPC that is. Um, what's the rebuild of a, of brands and you know rebuild of export? What's that look like? Look, the, the, uh, I'll start with the last one. The rebuild of exports, unfortunately, was delayed because of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, you know, you couldn't get on a flight for three, three years or stuff like that. But the rebuild of the business was 
a very challenging part of it because you had two issues. You had the issue of the image, and then you had the issue of the operation of the business. So the image was from the staff and from the market that you basically was the dog of the industry. Yeah, The brand didn't really carry a lot. Our customers had, didn't have a lot of time for us. The delivery of the service was, you know, we didn't deliver on time. We didn't deliver right product. I can go on and on and on. We just weren't performing. The business wasn't performing. In terms of the business, where where do I start? So unfortunately, I had the wrong staff in it, right? They were over, over overpaid. They were not performing. The culture was absolutely awful. Uh, it was halfway between desperate and between I don't care because somebody will bail this business out. Somebody always bailed it out. I'll just show up to work and they'll pay me my salary. So they, the dedication wasn't there. But single most important thing, there wasn't a vision as to where the business is going. It was all low. No leadership. Well, there was all death by a thousand cuts. So every year it was losing money and people were depressed. So what do we do tomorrow? Oh, let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, yeah, again, just another failure sort of thing, right? Lost a winning culture. The, the, the completely win lost. It's actually, uh, it's a losing culture. I'm starting something expecting to fail, mm. right? And that's a very difficult culture to turn around, as you can imagine. From a physical perspective, unfortunately, the business had uh, 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 was 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 ignored in 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 some senses so coca-cola went and bought a lot of production equipment new production equipment the problem is if you have production equipment you got to utilize it if it's sitting there and you're using it for one hour a week that's not a very good investment uh, but on the other side of the coin is they had a computer system that was 2003 license literally uh, now Think back of what computers were in 2003. So there was hundreds and hundreds of spreadsheets here and there. You're trying to run a, a, a multi-hundred million dollar business with that. There was no single point of truth. Some of the, the servers that were in the factory hadn't been updated for seven years. Like the software hasn't been upgraded for seven and eight years. So that was one of the biggest things. We obviously took that out. We invested a few million dollars. We put a brand new uh, Dynamic 365 new ERP system. We changed the first four layers of management. You, uh, you turned it over. Completely changed them. A new, a new people, right? And we didn't get it right from the first time in every position. In some positions, we actually had to go through two or three changes before we got them right. Because remember, Australia is a very, very small pool of resources mm. and skills at the end of the day. Mm. We are Especially if you're trying to put them in Shepparton or somewhere like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you're also 25 million people. So to find those yeah. people, and a lot of those really, really good performers, uh, you know, they get on a plane, they, they go said- and work in, in Europe or they go and work somewhere else. So so we didn't necessarily get the first first person right from the first time. So we had some of them we had to go through two or three changes until we we got the right people. And the last the last change was a change of a CEO where we had to get the gentleman from South Africa because he was the sort of person that he knew exactly what the what PC was going through and doing all of that. So the other the, the other thing that we've done is we had over a thousand SKUs. SKU is stock keeping unit means a, a product, right? A thousand. Over a thousand. Some of them were such a low volume that you're better off just making it in a kitchen, mm. right? So we had to cut off something like 400, 500 out of those in the first six months because they were just, all they're doing is they're changing, you're changing the production line over. You're making this for a couple of hours, then shutting it down, cleaning the whole thing up, 
uh, you know, to, to meet the standard, then you're starting up, running short run, doing that, all of that. Then just all a waste of money and a waste of uh, a waste of time. So we had to we had to change all of that. Then we we brought in some consultants that worked with us, and they were actually really decent people. They worked with us on success base only, and we reformatted, reconfigured the way that the production and the factory was working so in so an efficiency that, sense. In the efficiency sense, so we we reduced. We started the, putting together the working team more in line of global best practice rather than just people upon people upon people. Uh, we upgraded and spent some money on the machines. We got rid of some machines that were from the 70s and the 80s. We invested money in the factory to streamline it and make it more in line and so on and so forth. That was from a supply chain perspective. Then from the demand chain perspective, we started creating a different type of relationship with our customers, with the calls, with the woolies, with the people that we sell uh, ingredients to. Uh, like uh, you know, Chobani and some of the other guys, sort of thing. Uh, you know, some some products hadn't had a price increase for eleven years. So, is Ch- when you say Chobani, is that one of your products? No, no, no. no. That's we sell them. For example, ah, uh, uh, oh, you, you sell maybe the peaches, the, the, fruit, the bit yeah, of fruit yeah, yeah, that yeah, goes yeah. in there. But they're one of our customers. Yeah, yeah. So, but all of our customers, we started to create a different commercial relationship with them. We started reviewing our, our relationship with them, our commercial arrangements with them. We're starting to look at how we can work with them as partners to grow the business, rather than you know throw things at them of you know over the fence sort of thing. And, yeah, here's uh, your blueberries. Uh, yeah, and and having a hostile relationship. No, you didn't deliver. No, I didn't deliver. No, it's your fault. No, it's my fault. Now it's more like, mate, we've got an issue. How can we solve it? How can we make it bigger? Okay, you want to expand. How can we help you? Where can, what part can we play? So we started developing that relationship. And this is a continuous process. It's not a one-off. Uh, Coles and Woolies, obviously, they're big giants. And that time, we had a history of not performing with them, so we had to sort of make men's and how can we improve our performance. How do you? I mean, how do you get along to whoever the head buyer at Woolies or Coles is who might be upset about your logistical reliability? And what, what, do you go and talk to them? Is that Hussein who talks to Well, I mean, or, I did. When, I, when we first bought the business, I went and spoke to senior guys and each one of our customers. But it's really the new guys that we brought in, the new, the new staff that we brought in who have experience in dealing with them and working with our logistics guys, supply chain guys, their supply chain guys, as well as working with the buyers on what sells, what doesn't sell, what's a fair price. Because like I said, some of the some of our products hadn't had a price increase for 11 years. And then they come back to you and sort of say, well, there's no innovation. Well, how can I do any innovation? You haven't given me a price increase. The category is losing money. How do you want me to, where do you want me to innovate it, right? Uh, so, so we had to review all of that relationship, the commercial arrangements, the commercial relationship with them. Some of them were successful, some of them were not successful. Some of them would continue to work with, you know, with the, with with the, our customers on and all of that. The most important thing is we tried to, as much, and we continue to try to push as much as possible, more of a partnership type of approach with them, so that we understand what they think is going to be the future trends, so we can cater for them and work with them work with them on that. And, you know, that's an ongoing process. Are we there yet? Far from it, right? But are we better than we were? Hopefully we are significantly better. But how do you measure that if you're better? Oh, we have have all KPIs, key performance indicators. We have a measurement on on time. We have a measurement, uh, you know, in full on time that we deliver to them. We have a measurement in terms of the the gross profit that we make out of a particular product and so on and so forth. So everything that we do, 
part of what we rolled in when we first came in, part of the restructuring of the business, is we rolled out a whole balance what they call a scorecard, right? So how do we measure the CEO? How do we measure his direct reports? How do we measure our performance to our clients? How do we measure everything? So because the old saying, what you can't measure, you can't manage. Yeah. So for us to manage it, you'd had to measure it. Right? So would you say that introduction of of, of structure and measurement, which is like measurement is part of structure, but the the um, introduction of structure into the organisation was a big key part of the turnaround. Absolutely, absolutely. The, uh, the all of the structure was different. We also had to structure the org structure to be more customer focused. So the org structure wasn't really just a product focus. So we're not just pushing a product. We've divide, we've reorganized the business into four business units. One is called is for groceries and and, uh, and you know, supermarkets and chains. The other one was what we call food service and industrial, which is basically service our industrial clients like Chibani's, like some of the other ones that we sell uh, fruit paste or we sell uh, 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 tomato paste for them, stuff like that. A third one was international because obviously we wanted to do that, notwithstanding during the pandemic we really didn't do much but last year we opened our office in Singapore and we have a small operation production for tropical fruits out of uh, just outside of Thailand just outside of Bangkok in Thailand and the fourth business unit which is a very unique to us and I believe it's unique worldwide we created a business unit called SPC Care SPC Care is food for vulnerable people so that's sells food for hospitals, we have a brand that sells fruit and everything else for aging population called ProVital that has certain enhancement in it and caters. You know, this thing little Jimmy can do can can eat it after a soccer game on Saturday. Grandma might necessarily need to can eat the same thing. She needs certain enhancements, more fiber, more this, more that. Even the juices, she might necessarily or grandpa might necessarily go and buy. Uh, go and buy juice from, from the normal juices. So we have certain juices that are called ProVital that are done for that. But you like put vitamins inside? We put we put various types of additives. So yep. it's either vitamins or fibers, because that's a fiber yep. issue and all of that. Uh, and, and the whole idea out of SPC Care is to expand its for portfolio to focus on food for vulnerable people. In the future, we're looking at, you know, how can we make good food for pregnant ladies? How so is it more healthcare, or sort of not healthcare, but um, it's not necessarily vulnerable, if I could just ch change the word around, but uh, you guys probably use the word vulnerable, but it's just so I can understand and no, explain. No, my, my marketing guys hate me when I use the word vulnerable. Yeah, but, but, it's, but, but, but it's people who need care. Who need a special care, a special yeah. attention over the normal society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, and it is, and it is a, a marketplace. Correct. So, so, you know, most of the other ones that you find, oh, this is, you know, powder for, for overweight or this is to build muscles in the gym. Mm. This is not for a gym and this is not for overweight. Yeah. This is for people in the hospitals, right, uh, where, you know, it's very measured. It's, it's, it's 70 grams of vegetables, 70 grams of uh, protein, 120 grams of starch. It's people for uh, aging population in the future, for example, people for dysphagia who can't swallow, uh, for pregnant people. Uh, you know, low cholesterol sort of thing, gluten-free. So we're putting all of that in an entity called SPC Care, which we believe, based on what we heard, it is unique worldwide. That's pretty cool. Will, will you be, is that done at a wholesale level? or In other words, you sell to the hospital or is it done at a retail level? In other words, I, but, but, I can go and buy this for my aging mother. 
both. You yeah. can you can buy it. I can do it now. Or yeah, no? yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. fine. You can do that. We also sell to the NDIS where we deliver the meals to to the home of the uh, uh, the, the 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 customer. Like a meal so, meal delivery program. Yeah, like a meal. Like they, you know, they order ten meals and all of that, and yeah. you know, there's like I think seventy different variety of meals and chicken and beef and lamb and spaghettis and rices and all sorts of weird and wonderful Chinese cuisine and, you know, uh, uh, steak and three veggies and all sorts of stuff. And they order 15 meals and they put them in there and they and tend to be the limit is how big is your freezer at home. Yeah. And then they heat them and then they eat them. So, so that division there, that fourth division is for hospitals, for Asian population, for NDIS. In the future, we'll be looking about what's healthy for children, what's healthy for other people that need a, a special requirement, let's put it this way, rather than... So, so where, where does that, if you could just indulge me for a second, where does that innovation process start? When we bought the business, they already pro-vital. So there was products doing this. We bought the business that does the meals, right? And then you, you external from another place. Yeah, we bought a whole business called Cuisine with a K. Yep. That was in New South Wales. It's an emu plant, and we're in the process of moving facilities to expand it and over there. And then we find that we have products, but there's no focus on the customer on that there. So it was in one of our strategic sessions. You truly suggested that we put them together in one in one name, and one of our smart marketing people sort of says, well, that's SPC Care, and we created that that division in there. And then we brought in a CEO who's focused on that particular one, who comes from a background of of vitamins and and uh, 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 you know, a, a sort of quasi medical, quasi pharma, but I call it yeah. not quite pharma. Health as, food, health food, yeah, 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 yeah that, that sort of thing. And we because that's a growing the, world. That that world is growing. I mean, as we get a, an aging population, uh, as our population skews more to older people, um, which is what's happening in the world. And to some extent that cohort of people actually have, generally speaking, have more money than the younger people because, you know, they might have a house or some super or whatever um, and they tend not to spend as much. Um, there's a big marketplace there, but those people are now not going to die when they're 70 like you know, we used to. We're going to live to 80 plus. So they're, they're all trying, they're all interested. How do I live longer and better? And so that's that's a marketplace that you guys are now that, addressing. That's our that's our target audience. SBC Care, I like it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you know those those meals we can tomorrow de- deliver it because also those Asian population, they're living by themselves or the couple by themselves. They're really, yeah. uh, you know, they're really not in the mood to go and cook a fancy meal all by themselves just for the both of them to eat. How far down the track are you in terms of not only resurrecting this brand and all the various product lines that you have, I won't call them SKUs, but product lines you have, um, how far down the track are you to getting it um, back to where you want it to be? Uh, there's, there's two parts of that, that, those questions, right? The first part is how far we've gone into the turnaround yep. and the second part of where we want to take it, how far we are from Okay, going. that's a good way to answer it. Right. So the turnaround's complete. Now we- you got rid, In other words, turnaround being, you got rid of all the crap. We got rid of all the crap and we brought it back into profitability. Okay, great. Right. So last year, this year has been very tough because of the floods, not not because of the yep. performance of the business. But last year, from a loss of circa 15 when we bought it, 15, 16, last year we closed with a profit of 13. Wow. In three years. That's very good. Right? This year passed, that just passed, was an absolute disaster for us. But that's just because floods were absolutely awful. We made a couple of execution mistakes, don't get me wrong. You know, I don't want to sort of say we walk on water and get our feet wet, but uh, we made some mistakes. But the biggest hit that we got, the biggest 
pain that we suffered was because of hail storms and because the floods that happened in Golden Valley. If you remember right before yeah, Christmas, yep. we lost 18,000 tons of tomato, just, just tomato alone, right? So that's fine. So the business has turned around. It is significantly more efficient. I have, have, Are we there 100%? Of course not. That's a continuous process. Yep. We're rolling out things like total quality management. We're introducing modern ways of managing the business, shop floor and non-shop floor. We're, we're you know, we're, we continue in the way. The next question is where we want to take it, right? If I had my way, me and my partners, we are steadfast in one thing. We want to make SPC the Nestle of Australia. So we want to become a global food company out of Australia. We say no reason why we shouldn't be. Nestle is out of Switzerland, 10 million people population. They became global. Uh, uh, Unilever, all of that sort of countries. Why don't we have a global food company out of Australia? That's what we're trying to create. I'd like to walk down the street in London or in Athens or somewhere like that and look at it and sort of say, fantastic, that's a SPC brand. It mightn't be manufactured in the Goldman Valley, it might be manufactured in Europe, under but license. still is under license or, or, a, or a business that I own. Mm. I go and buy a business in Europe. I mean, I just like Nestle owns businesses here or Unilever or, or Heinz or any of those guys. Why can't I have a business over there and become part of the global food uh, 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 company? Remember Australia, I mean, we, we, we sort of say, oh, well, you know, we're a big exporter of agri products. If you analyze those, those are mostly commodities. They're wool, they're carcasses, and they're wheat not value adding yeah i want to we want to be the value added business innovative the smart food business from australia to the world so to that end we have three different stages one is cementing our our home market australia new zealand and we're working pretty hard on that a second one is to expand into our what i call our neighborhood which is the asia pacific right and that's why we established our singapore office a lady who's been there she's only been there for about 12 months or something like that very clever lady and she's working through to try to do that and we're trying to improve our our production of tropical fruit and sell more into asia pacific the third part is an acquisition into europe most likely other spain or or somewhere around that because from there you're able to also cater to north africa and the middle east as you know, Spain from Morocco is 40 minutes by ferry, closer than Manly by ferry, uh, sort of thing. So all of that North Africa, if you think of a North African market, that's about 400 million people. Plus what we were talking about, aging population, Europe is an aging population. So SBC care will be fantastic in an aging population like in Germany and Scandinavia and all of that sort of thing. So for us, ideally, we would like to make an acquisition in Spain Right. Now, there's been bits and bobs that delayed the process, although we are in discussions with a, a very, very f a fantastic company. And if we can get it across the line, I'll be absolutely delighted. And that would be a, a, a good, strong uh, anchor for us into Europe for the Northern Hemisphere. This provides us also with a mitigation against the weather. So if the weather is bad in the Southern Hemisphere, at least I have, have decent weather in the Northern Hemisphere, hopefully anyway. Uh, it also, the, the area, the business that we're looking at buying is a complementary category. So it's in the vegetable business sort of thing. We're in the fruit. We don't want to get into proteins and meats and any of that sort of thing. So that's something that already has been, has been on the boil now for a better part of 18 months. And we'd like to finish all of that. If we finish all of this, if we complete all of that, 
Then the next step is I'd like to take this business public on the Australian stocks. IPO. Yeah. But realist. Like, realist. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if I could do that, I'll be a very happy man. Well, that it sounds like you're, you're on the right journey for all this and, uh, and clearly you're, there's always going to be iterations after iteration. There's always going to be interruptions. It could be COVID. It could be floods. I mean, you're, you're subject to all these things. I, 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 I want to finish off with one more thing, Hussein, if you don't mind. Um, if we just go back to 1917 when you got your cooperatives of producers in Shepparton, where do the Shepparton farmers who, you know, still produce lots of stuff for you, um, where do they fit into all this? I mean, do you? how do you look after them? They are, mate, they are absolutely a critical part. They're the engine in your car, mm. right? And you no, don't own them. That's the difference. I mean, no, yeah, no, I don't own them, but yeah. we, we try to work with them. Look, they had a very rough time during Coca-Cola, and the numbers vary, but I was told anywhere from 150 to 200,000 trees were pulled out of the ground. Right. By the farmers because they couldn't sell. Well, they, they couldn't sell. They also couldn't forecast. Remember, it's different than the yearly crop. It's different than tomato where you plant it one year and then you replant it. The the farmer in in in, in the fruit has to invest in a tree for five years before it gives him one piece of fruit. So if he doesn't have... Uh, 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 if you cannot see that, uh, that this there's going to be some sales or there's going to be some revenue coming from that, then that's investment that's wasted. So we're trying to work with them on the future, on working with invest, you know, on 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 trying to sort of show them where we're going and try to bring them with us. Uh, obviously, you know, we can we can guarantee volumes and we can guarantee continued growth. We you know we try and work with them so I'll say, well, we can't guarantee a price because we don't know what's happening with the price. Something you know might happen and the price might go up. Something might happen and the price might go down. So we continue to work with them. All, you know, daily, right, and regularly. Because I was going to say, time. what is that process? So do you? Yeah. Oh, we have, we have. A, it's it. It happens at a various levels. So the CEO meets with them regularly. Then we have people that work with them on, say, the quality of the crop. Then we have people that talk to the individual farmers on a regular basis. Those are people that constantly. They're from the area. They know the farmers. They're their cousins, they're their friends, they're, you know, they hang around with them at the pub for a beer. They're all very close, you know, they know each other over there and they continue to work with them and we continue to try to show them where we're trying to take the business and keep them as partners with us. Because, you know, without us, they would have to go and, 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 and all start competing, for example, in the fresh area and all of that and their crop prices will go down because there'll be an oversupply. But we are by far their biggest customers for the, the, the fruit that's for canning. Remember, the quality of fruit that you do for canning or for processing is different than what you and I buy in the supermarket. That's a softer type of fruit. If I put it through in the machine, it'll go into mush. Right? So, so they have a certain trees and certain quality of fruit, whether it's apricot or peaches. It's purely for, for preserving. Uh, so we continue to work with them about making sure that in the future they plant and they invest in planting uh, the right trees for us and, you know, variety, in different varieties and different things like that. But we try to work very closely with them and we want to continue to work very closely with them. We understand that they can take out a peach tree and put in 
something, you know, almond or something like that. And that might, might look sexy for the next couple of years. But if everybody does that, out of a sudden, their supply is going to become a lot more than the market demands. So their prices are going to go down. We're trying to explain to them that you've got to have a little bit of a longer view. We're here. We're yeah. If we were going to chop this business up and close it down and go, we would have done it a long time ago. We didn't go through the Spain because we want to bail out. We're here for the long term. So we're trying to explain to them is we are here for a long term. We want you as our partners in the journey. How can we make it work? You keep saying that we're partners, and I think it's really important just to get this point across before we close off. You can't look at people, and maybe this is one of the errors of big organisations like Coca-Cola and might have done, but you can't look at someone as just a supplier. And you can't look at someone just as the demand side, like someone, a retailer who buys from you. They're all partners. The supplier's your partner, Woolworths is your partner. In a, I don't mean you share their profits, or no, no, no. But, but you have a, a common interest and it's, you've got to work it, together. It is, it's not really about being warm and fuzzy. This is a commercial reality. Yeah, yeah. If, if I am just your customer, then the next guy you can move across to the other customer and leave me behind very quickly. Mm. And then I put myself in a very uh, commercial risk. If I create a partnership and long-term commercial relationship with you, then life as life is and, and the market is will go up and down. Less risky. Less risky. Still risk, uh, but less risky. Uh, business is risk. Yeah, yeah, business yeah. all manager is. But it is all about then how do we get over the risk part? How do we get over the good time and the part time together? Because so there's a certain period where you're going to have a good time, other period I'm going to have a good time, and vice versa. Yeah. You're going to have a bad time. And if you have a partnership with the, with your value chain, supply chain, whatever you want to call it, is a much better chance that everybody in the supply chain will survive it, will survive the bad times and the good times in a much better way at the end of the day. So it's much more of a commercial decision than just a, a bit of a warm and fuzzy and, you know, let's just hold hands in the wheels yeah, of the Yeah, kumbaya. Yeah. That's not what it is. I mean, it's about finding out really how, as partners, you can help each other. Exactly. Because then to do that, you've got to have honest conversations and say, what are your aspirations? What do you want to be able to do? What are your risks? How can we somehow ameliorate your risks? And by the way, these are our risks. You've got to have a, a fair income conversation. Absolutely. Like, a, a, like really fair income conversation. And I think that, uh, I mean, I, I, it's quite refreshing to know, one, that SPC, Ardmona, Golden, Goldman Valley, et cetera, is back in our control here in Australia and by, by good, high quality um, real investors who really have an interest in the whole chain, making sure it works because you've got your own hard earning there. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to stuff it up because you, you, you no, gotta, it's, my kids it's your money, it's your money. <laughs> and uh, and you, as you say, your kids' money. Um, but but also, it has, I, I like the fact that it's vertically integrated and that it is working with the farmers. I mean, farmers are really important to me. I'm a farmer. Like it's really important the farmers feel as though they've got a place to go, someone to talk to. But it is a proper partnership. So good luck to you, mate. Thanks very much, mate. Appreciate you having me on on your show. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.